this morning, I, I want to do something a little different. I want to share a story with you. I don't do a lot of stories in my preaching, but I'm going to share a story with you. But it's a rescue story that I want to share with you. Uh, I think we all love to hear great rescue stories. I think we all enjoy those. We're attracted to those. Well, I was attracted to one that I had found on TV a couple of years ago that I thought would be interesting. It's called All is Lost, starring Robert Redford, and there is no dialogue whatsoever in the movie. So Robert Redford and no dialogue kind of piqued my interest. I thought, I'm going to try this. And so my, my son and I sat down to watch this movie about a great rescue. And it was interesting because it wasn't like anything I thought it would be. It was about a man who was sailing alone peacefully on the sea all by himself, and then suddenly a storm overtook his little sailing vessel and began to sink it and ultimately destroyed it. So then the rest of the movie, that's five minutes in. I mean, you're into it, and that's happened. And the rest of the movie was all about that man's desperate struggle on a life raft in the middle of the sea, lost, without hope in this world. And, and throughout this time, he's surrounded by sharks, he's hit by more storms, he needs water, there's all kinds of struggles throughout this thing. You see that every time it looks like he's about to have some form of hope from all this trial and turmoil around him, his, his hopes were dashed, they were shattered, and you're just almost exhausted in watching this movie. As we were watching it, actually, throughout the movie, I noticed that both my son and I were struggling for the man. Like, have you ever been into a movie so much that you felt like you're with the guy and you're saying, ah, come on, you can do this. Hang in there, right? We are doing that with this guy. We are emotionally exhausted through this experience as we feel like we're there with him in that little life raft. That, that movie, as, as I thought about that, I thought about his situation. I thought, you know, it's depicting what man is like in this world apart from Christ. They're desperately trying to survive and finding struggle after struggle with no hope on their own. Even toward the end of this movie, the, the last part of the movie, we, we see, see this man, he is so desperate in this situation that he, he's trying to be rescued. He's trying to find ways to be rescued. He's racking his brain and he, he gets so desperate in this that when he finally sees on the horizon the glimpse of a ship coming, at least he thinks, in his direction, he then is so desperate that he sets his life raft on fire. His only hope was that life raft. He sets it on fire, trying to signal this ship at a distance. And what was really sad about this is as the little life raft burned before him, as he treaded water there, he recognized that the ship was too far off to see the light of his raft burning. He's so wore out at this point, wore out by all his failed attempts to save himself, he finally gives up. He gives up. Then he just sinks into the deep, dark water of the ocean. But he didn't realize as he was sinking that the rescue ship had spotted him and it was drawing near. Now, when my son and I were watching this, again, we were so caught up in his battle to stay alive, we began to literally cry out to the TV, right? Crying out for him, saying, just hang on, swim, come to the top, don't give up, hang in there. They're coming. Your hope is on the horizon. It's coming. This was just agonizing to watch. He just sank deeper and deeper into the dark water of death. And then suddenly, this is very dramatically 
what happens in the film is amazing. The TV screen went completely black for what seemed like 10 minutes. Completely black. All, all the darkness, it's picturing, all the darkness had fully engulfed and embraced this man and brought him down to the bottom. Until, just as dramatically, the darkness on the TV was flooded with this bright white light as rescuers plunged into the water to embrace this dead man and restore his life back to him. Now, when that happened, again, we're cheering now. We're cheering, we're cheering out loud because, again, we recognize this is an amazing rescue story. It got us excited. But saints, that fictional story doesn't hold a candle to God's great rescue story. The story of how God rescued dead and defiled sinners by sending his son to take our place, embrace our curse. And resurrect us to eternal life through faith in him. And, and, and like this, this fictional story that I told you, we, we couldn't even do what this man did. We, we couldn't attract our rescuer by our deeds. And we even wouldn't attract him because our deeds were defiled. We weren't just simply drowning in our sins. We were already dead in our sins and trespasses, unable and unwilling to cry out for help. We were dead, defiled, blinded, and engulfed by our sin. But God, being rich in mercy, sent Jesus to rescue and restore us to life. Jesus, God the Son, he leaves the glory of heaven to give life to the dead and defiled on earth by compassionately embracing our death and our defilement at the cross. And then what's he do after that? He doesn't simply die for us. Then he cleanses us by wrapping his blood-soaked righteous robe around us. That's the good news story that we celebrate when we come here to the Gospel of Mark every time we read it. In this good news story of, of God sending forth his son, here's what we learn. We see in this good news story the power of Christ on display and the compassion of Christ towards sinners. That is an amazing combination to have. And that's the greatest rescue story that this world has ever heard or ever will hear. The good news story of how Jesus powerfully and compassionately embraces defiled sinners heals us through his embrace, cleanses us from our defilement. That story is beyond amazing. We've been seeing him do that throughout the Gospel of Mark as we're going through it. We're going to see him do it again in Mark 7, 31 to 37, but not today. But not today. I know you're ready to go there, but wait. I'm trying to prepare you for it as we actually go to a different place. I want to set up the kind of compassion that we see in Mark 7 by taking you back to an earlier rescue story about Jesus' power and compassion toward the most defiled man imaginable in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. I'm going to actually begin reading in a moment in verse 29 for the context. But I want you to listen carefully as I read the text, because here's what you're going to see. In, in this great rescue story, we hear and see, number one, the cry of an outcast in verse 40. Number two, the compassion of Christ in verses 41 to 42. Number three, the command of the Lord in verses 43 to 44. And then finally, a cleansed man's reaction in verse 45. 
listen as God's gospel story is revealed to us here in Mark 1, 29 to 45. And immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Just, just keep in mind here something. This is the incarnate Son of God. God in human flesh here on earth, seeing the ravages of sin as it's plagued mankind in various forms. And I don't know if you stopped and thought about this often when you read things like this, but this was a a very tangible expression of man's sinful condition here. Could you imagine what this must have been like to see with the incarnate eyes of the Holy One? To see the ravages of sin upon His creation? And to smell the stench of death and decay in those sick and those depraved people. I mean, this is a great act of condescension. God is coming down to care for man with compassion. This is a great, great rescue story. This is just a part of it, though. It goes further. He says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Again, compassion. Because he's preparing to go into his actual work of preaching here. Bringing the good news of the kingdom to the people there. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. He said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach. Preach there also because he says, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is an amazing story, amazing picture of our Savior here. And here in in 21 to 45, we see this. We, We learn that Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons, and then he takes a break, right? He takes a break, and all of a sudden, There's this good news report about him that echoes throughout this region, and it lands in the ears of a desperate leper. The good news of Jesus' authority and his mercy has now reached the ears of an outcast and defiled 
leper. Now, when the leper hears the good news about Jesus's power and his grace, his mercy to restore the unclean that he has heard about this happening all around him, this this defiled and desperate man now is irresistibly drawn to Jesus because the leper knew he knew that he could not change his own unclean condition. He couldn't do anything to change what his condition was like from the inside out or from the outside in. And he knew that he needed someone else to rescue him that was powerful enough to cleanse him and compassionate enough to come near him. And saints, that is what he found in Jesus. One who has the power to cleanse and is compassionate enough to draw near to the defiled sinner. That's good news. Aren't you glad to hear that today if you're a believer? And if you're not, this is your hope, sinner. Look to Christ today. Now, I think most of us are somewhat familiar with this illness or this plague of leprosy that was actually spoken of a lot in Christ's day. It was a, it was a hopeless and a lonely condition. I think we need to understand this to understand really the greatness of this rescue that takes place here. I mean, lepers were, were, were like living dead men at this time. Living dead men. They're isolated from all human touch and treated as even less than human themselves. Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Think about you have leprosy. How would that affect you relationally to others around you, to the culture, to the city that you live in? Imagine this. Imagine no mother's touch. Imagine no hug from your children. Imagine never being able to hold the hand of your spouse again. All that you have to look forward to is the embrace of loneliness and a slow and agonizing death. That's the leper's condition. The dread of this infection, the dread itself was overwhelming. It would keep you from fellow Jews. It would keep you at a distance from humanity. It must have done that because that's what the law commanded to prevent infection, to prevent defilement. God's law declared that lepers were unclean and they were commanded to stay away. And they were commanded something very radical to keep them at a distance from people that just seems so heartbreaking to me to think about. But they would have to walk around when they saw another human being, another Jew at a distance. They had to confess their shame by covering their lip and crying out, unclean, unclean, I'm filthy. I mean, imagine you having to do that when you go out into the world, engaging in some sort of hopeful connection to people. But the first thing you say is, you can't touch me. I'm filthy. I'm defiled. Leviticus tells us that this is the command from God. And it's very intentional here that it's given to not just protect the others from this defilement, but to picture what sin does in our own lives. It makes us unclean. Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46, it says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. It's a lonely and desperate condition that this man is in. They weren't allowed to come into walled cities at all. Rabbis even boasted that they threw stones at them to keep them away. 
And they did that partly because they did know what the Levitical law said. The law says you can't even brush up against a leper. You can't touch them. Lepers were outcasts. They were defiled. You couldn't draw near to them at all. They understood that. But do you understand what this must have felt like if you were a leper? Just imagine the shame. Imagine the desperation. Imagine the loneliness that this leper must have felt every single day. Here's what leprosy had done to him. Leprosy had separated him from his family. It had separated him from God's people, from worship in the temple. And leprosy actually would eventually destroy his physical life. That's what it would do. He knew that. He knew that there was nothing. The priest could only identify it. They couldn't heal it. They couldn't change his condition. The law couldn't change his condition. It just identified him as unclean. He's desperate. And his life is being slowly destroyed by it, emotionally and physically. Now, here's where leprosy serves us today. Leprosy, in this same way, illustrates to us what unconfessed sin in our life will do to us as Christians. Leprosy, like unconfessed sin, will divide families. It will drive us away from fellowship. It will disrupt our worship. And unconfessed sin will ultimately even destroy our lives, rob us of the joy of salvation. Now, we may not suffer from the illness of leprosy itself, but we suffer from a much greater infection, sin. Indwelling sin's presence in our flesh. When Christ draws near to this man, he gives him a new lease on life. He cleanses him. He restores his life. That doesn't just happen for the Christian at conversion. That goes on through repentance of sins that you have maybe kept under wraps. But God knows. He he is continually exposing our leprosy, this indwelling sin's presence in our flesh, so he can cleanse us from it once again and give us the joy of our salvation, the joy of eternal life. Saints, the, the spiritual effects of sin are devastating to the Christian. They're devastating to the Christian. Here's what, here's what the spiritual effect of sin unchecked will do to you. It'll discourage your walk with God. It'll rob you of the spiritual joy that you should have in life as one who has been forgiven. If you leave it unchecked and unconfessed, it's going to rob you of all that God has promised you in Christ who drew near to save and sanctify you. So leaving it unchecked and unconfessed is not an option, not for us. But we all know that we struggle with indwelling sin's presence. We all know that. So, so what's the hope for us in that, right? What's the hope? Well, the hope is found here in what the man does in Mark 1. When we, when we cry out like this man in faith to Christ to cleanse us of our condition, we have hope that he is going to do that. We see it take place in this man's physical illustration of this. In this passage, we see a defiled outcast confessing his condition, seeking God for his cleansing. And that's what we can do. The leper comes to Jesus. And what's he do? When you read that, when you see this text, he comes confessing his desperate need of cleansing. And he comes believing that only Jesus has the power to change his defiled condition. That's the way we have to come to God constantly, even after being born again. We still struggle with sin, so we keep confessing our desperate need of his cleansing, his promise to sanctify us 
ultimately to the point of glorification, but progressively here on earth. We need him to change our defiled condition. We need him to change our heart's position towards sin. And this man, he knew that nothing that he did could do that. We need to recognize that too. Try to balance the scales of your Christian life by when you sin, you you decide, oh, I'm going to go to church and show up all the time. That's going to balance out my scales. That won't work. That's works-based salvation in the back door, right? No, it won't work. Nothing you can do can balance the scales. Well, this man knew he couldn't remove the inward infection that he had, and neither can we. We need to know that. He knew he couldn't clean himself up enough to remove the effect of his infection. He knew that there was no law or rule that can change him. Nothing could do that. The law could only point out the leper's desperate condition. It could not provide what he needed most. What he needed most was both cleansing and compassion. Saints, the law was powerless to cleanse this leper. But here's the good news for us today. What the law couldn't do, Jesus did. Romans 8 says this. Romans 8, 3 and 4. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We have to give all praise to God for this. We must praise God for his compassionate grace that comes to us in Christ. The same compassionate grace that the leper is experiencing in this text. And we know it has to be all the praise going to God here for our salvation and our sanctification. Because we know this from Romans 8 verses 7 and 8. That sinners cannot and will not come to Jesus for cleansing apart from God's merciful intervention. God has to act. And here's why God has to act this way toward us, because we won't come on our own. And unlike, unlike this leper who could see the evidence of his defilement in his flesh, we, we, unlike him as sinners, we suppress the very truth that's evident to us. We suppress the truth about our true spiritual condition, our sinfulness, because we loved our sin. We enjoyed our sin. Therefore, we sinned our will long for this pleasure of sin for a moment until God says, your will is defiled. It's enslaved. You need to have your eyes open. You're dead in your sins. We were spiritually blinded by those sins, blinded by the darkness we once lived in. And we were blinded. Everyone in this room has been or is blinded by sin until until God powerfully opens your eyes to see the true nature of your foul condition. And when he does that, he doesn't just show you your sinfulness. He shows you Christ's greatness, his supremacy. He opens your eyes to see your foul condition and to see Christ's great compassion. The one who came to cleanse the sinner. The one you could cry out to for mercy in your time of need. He'll cleanse you. Folks, this is the only way and the only hope that a sinner can ever be saved. It's the only way that weak And weary, failing Christians could ever be sanctified. Our only hope in all this, and it's a sure hope, is found there in 140. It's found in that Jesus is able to rescue sinners and he is willing to embrace us and cleanse us when we sin. That's what happened here in Mark 140. 
Look at number one in my points here. In verse 40, we, we hear the cry of the defiled outcast in Jesus' presence. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. He's talking about his ability and his willingness. He is trusting in him to do what only he can do. And he believes that he can cleanse him if he will even come near him. Notice at the, at the very beginning here what the defiled outcast says and does in this verse. After he's been irresistibly drawn to Christ. Immediately it says the leper confesses his neediness. I, I am needy. I am imploring. I'm begging you. And he's also expressing his trust in Christ's power to do what only God in human flesh could do. That is to heal him, to cleanse him. We, we hear the leper's faith in his words and we see his faith in his humble posture even. He's beseeching. He's, he's bowing. He's begging. He's bowing. He's coming low in humble submission to Christ, confessing that only he can cleanse him of this defilement. That, again, is how sinners, all sinners, must come to God because there's no other way we can come. We have nothing else to offer God but our sin and defilement. We have nothing to give him but this defiled life that only he can cleanse, only he can cure, only he can reconcile to God. We have to come confessing our sinful condition and, and trust that he alone can remove the stain of sin. And saints, that doesn't just apply to regeneration at the first conversion. It has to do with continued sanctification. We come to him in our neediness when we are failing and we say to him, Jesus, I remember what you did for me and you can still sanctify me. You can make this defiled man holy. Practically, you can change me. You can give me a new disposition toward my sin, a hatred of my sin and a love for righteousness. And you can remove the stain of sin. Too many Christians walk around today thinking that they have failed and they've fallen short. And they all have. Right. We all have done that. But we think that to the point of why continue on? Just let me waller in this self-pity at this point. I'll never be holy. I'll never be righteous. I'll never be able to accomplish great things for God. Therefore, I'm just going to limp along through my Christian life. Saints, that's, that's a lie from Satan. Christ has the victory over our sin. He is empowering our sanctification. He's the one working in us, right? He's the one empowering us to pursue righteousness. He's the one who continues to wash our dirty feet when we walk in this world. Let's go on there in Mark, Mark 140. B, because here we see that the leper humbled himself before Jesus and expressed belief in Jesus' ability to cleanse him. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, again, the outcast leper believed that Jesus could cleanse him. But from his personal experience with priests and others, what he was wondering was, are you even willing to come near me? That's what he's thinking. He's thinking, if you will, I know you can, but I'm not sure you're willing. Nobody else is. Nobody else is even willing to come help me. They all run from me. And, and saints, listen, Jesus' response here is just phenomenal. And it's phenomenal to me and should be to you because this is his response to you and I as well. His response to the leper's confession in, in verse 41 is astounding when you think about it. 
And it's astounding because in verse 41, we learn that Jesus is willing to embrace the defiled. That should thrill your soul this morning. That was your testimony apart from Christ. You were defiled, but he was willing to embrace your defilement. In verse 41, we see how Jesus responds to humble outcasts like us who are drawn to him to confess their need of cleansing. In Mark 141, we see compassion, the compassion of Christ embrace. We see him embracing this outcast. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. This is, this is a miracle beyond our imagination. You, you really have to try to put yourself in the leper's condition to understand this. And again, you should be able to do that because his leprosy represents your sin, my sin. And when I read verse 41, it, it always startles me. It always amazes me. It awakens praise in me because Mark is the only gospel that records Jesus' response here like this. He's the only one who says that Jesus, in seeing the leper, was moved with pity. That is compassion, mercy. He, he's moved in his inner being, his bowels, his internal affections, his emotions. They're moved toward this man. This is an amazing description of the heart of our sympathetic Savior for us today. I hope it gives you joy to think about this. He is not repelled by you and your defilement. No, he is drawn to you with pity, with mercy. And he embraces you from the heart. He takes you into himself and transforms you out of his mercy. He is moved. You notice this. He's moved internally. Then he's moved physically near to this outcast. Now, this was shocking to the Jews around. Look at verse 41. It says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Wait a minute. You couldn't even brush up against a leper, much less touch him. What this is doing is showing us something about Jesus's compassionate and condescending nature. God is not going to be defiled by his creation. But he's going to sanctify it by his touch. He's going to restore it through his miraculous grace. What we see here is Jesus expressing his willingness to cleanse this defiled man. And he's doing it before he ever spoke the words, be clean. He did that by touching him, touching him. See, the healing, the healing, we, we think of the healing as when he says, be clean, and he's made clean. That's true. It is. But Jesus embraced him before he declared he's clean. His very embrace cleansed the man. The word here in Greek for he touched him, you know, when I first studied this, I thought, well, that's amazing. Jesus touches this leper. It's just phenomenal. For the Jews, it would have been shocking. But there is much, so much more to this Greek word than the mere touch. This is not a mere hand on the shoulder. This is more like a Paul Wilson kind of bear hug. Okay, that's what's going on here. It's describing a personal embrace by the Savior. A personal embrace. It's basically a full-on, arms-wide-open embrace. Church, Jesus, Jesus, incarnate God, stretched out his omnipotent arms of mercy and embraced this leper. He threw his arms around him and embraced the man in mercy. Now think about the man's condition. Just imagine what it must have felt like to this downcast and touch-deprived leper. 
Imagine what this would have felt like. The first person to embrace you since you've been ill with leprosy is the Savior himself. And he doesn't merely tap you on the shoulder, but pulls you into his bosom. This is an amazing picture of God's compassion and his power at work in his son. What Jesus does here is absolutely astounding. It's shocking to the Jews, but it's astounding to us because touching this leper we know was was forbidden so you could prevent you from contracting the condition. But here what we see is Jesus' willingness to embrace the leper's condition to cleanse him. He, He takes him in and then he says, be clean. Be clean. And, and by physically embracing this leper, Jesus is revealing something important to us. He, he's revealing that he was willing to become what we are so that he can give us what we need most. That is his righteousness. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 describes this most clearly. It says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He embraced our curse to grant us what we needed most, which is his cleansing touch. He reconciled us. He granted us righteousness. He reconciled us to God eternally through this embrace. And it wasn't a mere pat on the shoulder, but a full-on embrace to his bosom. I mean, aren't you amazed by that? Aren't you amazed that he did that to save you? And aren't you even more amazed now as a Christian who still struggles with sin? Aren't you amazed that he was willing to do that at the cross? And he's still willing to do that today to give you daily cleansing when you fall, when you struggle, when you battle with sin in your flesh? I mean, think about this, saints. The illustration here is about God coming near. He's still near in the believer. He is in you. He is not a distant deity to the Christian. He is present with us, embracing us in our sin and cleansing us when we repent. That's his design and his desire for us. He draws near to us to embrace us when? In our time of need so that he can give us grace. Not grace to go on in sin, but grace to recognize sin and repent. That's the freedom of the Christian. You're free to obey God, not free to continue in sin. You've been set free from one and given freedom in your master, Jesus Christ, our righteousness. I mean, aren't you glad that once he embraced you at the cross, he never let you go? That is our joy and our comfort today. He never lets us go. Just think about this weary saint. Remember this at the cross. Jesus embraced us in our sins. And he rescued us from God's wrath. And he he did that to to show us, I'm going to embrace you and hold you until the very end. Because his embrace is, is now the very strength that we have when we are weary and weak in the battle with sin. And we recognize it. It's because he's holding us. He's saying, look, that's wrong. It's his spirit at work in us. His embrace never lets us go. That should comfort you today, weary Christian, those who battle with indwelling sin. And you're all here present struggling with that, every one of us. No one's excluded in this room. And what he's doing is telling us, this is your comfort here. Look at what I did for this leper. He's reminding us that if if Christ embraces you and cleanses you when you are at your worst by covering your leprous soul with his blood-soaked robe of righteousness, then he's going to continue embracing and restoring you when you struggle with sin and your weakness. His power doesn't stop after regeneration. 
It's magnified in regeneration. It's flowing through us. His power is at work in us. His spirit now dwells in the believer. He's embraced us fully and totally and made us whole. And he's going to continue to sanctify us in his righteousness as we look to him who came near and trust that he made us clean. Now, back in Mark 142, we see that Christ's compassion actually answered the cry of the outcast in ways he didn't even imagine beyond his imagination. In verse 42, it says, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. He was made completely whole. That's what it's saying. It, it wasn't like he was somewhat leprous after this. It wasn't sound like he still had blotches on his skin. No, it, it says whole. It's talking about made clean. Immediately it left him completely changed. This is what happens when God touches the sinner. When God touches the sinner, he, he sovereignly decrees you to be clean and he embraces you compassionately to restore you back to life, to give you life. That's what's happening here. This man's life is now worth living. He'd been the living dead. Now he is alive. He is able to enjoy the gift of life fully with nothing to hold him back from temple worship, from fellowship with his family, from the touch of his child or his spouse. Listen, this, this should speak volumes to us today as Christians. If, if we would but humbly cry out to Jesus like this leper does and really truly believe that he, Jesus, is eager and able to give us much more than we are even willing to ask, even when we are defiled by our own sin. You want to be clean from your sin you're struggling with? You want to be set free from it? Look to Jesus. He wants that for you more than you could ever desire it yourself. He's willing to cleanse your conscience. He's willing to revive your fellowship with God. He's willing to lift up your downcast souls. And he's willing to restore to us the joy of our salvation. This is our God who came near. Draws near to outcasts, defiled sinners. Not to simply wash away their sin, but to give them the joy of reconciliation with God. The peace that surpasses all human understanding. I think that when you read this narrative, you understand that Mark is writing it in such a way that we would understand that God's mercy in Christ toward the broken and the contrite sinner is beyond any measure we could imagine. It's beyond measure. And in healing this leper here, here's what Mark's doing. He's showing us that Jesus is revealing to us that he is certainly a merciful Savior. But then he goes further and he reveals to us that he's also our merciful Master, our Lord and Savior. We can see that in 143 and 44. In these passages, we hear the command of the Lord to a cleansed man. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now here, it's interesting. I mean, it's easy to be like the rabbis of the day and throw stones at the leper here. But if you do, you might find yourself throwing stones at yourself. Here the leper is commanded to go to the temple and show himself to the priest. And there's a reason for that. He was to do that as a proof to them, to the priests, and to fulfill God's law in Leviticus 14. 
He was to do that because Jesus knew that if the man had went through the process, the priest would have to publicly confess that this man had been certainly cured. But then they would also ask him, how did this happen? Well, that would afford this man an opportunity to testify about Jesus' cleansing embrace to all those in the synagogue. And in doing that, he would be testifying to the reality that Christ was God's merciful Messiah and his Lord and Savior. This is all behind the command that we see Jesus giving here in this section. That's not what happened. Verse 45 tells us that's not exactly what took place immediately. Here we see that the cleansed man couldn't wait to go back to the temple to tell people about Jesus. He couldn't wait to proclaim the good news about Jesus' cleansing power and his compassion toward him. So the last thing we see in 145 is this, that the cleansed man is expressing an uncontrolled reaction, an uncontrolled reaction. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, it's pretty clear that this man obviously ignored Jesus' command. And and, uh, listen, I'm not sure that he, this was an intentional ignoring of Jesus' command. I, I think it's almost like, Just this amazed reaction to what's just happened to him. He heard Jesus talking, but he didn't take it in. It's like, have you ever done that? I mean, you know, somebody's telling you a story, hopefully not now, and you're just kind of sitting there. You're not really listening because something else is going on. But that's what's happening here, I think, with this man. But he ignores the command, and there's really no excuse for this kind of disobedience, no matter what. His, His disobedience certainly, it says here in verse 45, had consequences. It disrupted Jesus's ministry in Galilee to some point. But, but I, I find it really hard to be harsh toward this newly cleansed man for this spontaneous praise that comes from his mouth. Oh, that we would be like that. You know, what's amazing to me is he's commanded to not go tell everybody, but go tell the priests. When we're cleansed, what are we commanded to do? Go tell them all. Go immediately. Tell the world that Jesus saves. So... I understand that it would be hard for this man to control the joy that he must feel as someone who's been given life from the dead. I mean, he'd been given a totally new life through the power and compassion of Christ. Think about who he was. He was a defiled outcast, a walking dead man, no hope in this world until Jesus embraced him. And Jesus declared him clean and Jesus restored his life. Now, Could you keep all that in your heart? I couldn't. And I hope you don't. I hope that you don't. We aren't called to. We're called to proclaim it. When he touched him, everything in this man's life radically changed. He's completely healed, fully cleansed, restored back into fellowship with the people of God. He no longer has to walk into a city and cry out, unclean, unclean. Instead, he can go and cry out in that same city, I am clean. I have been made clean by Jesus, the Messiah, who drew near to the defiled. That's what he gets to do. What a glorious gift that must be. 
It's a glorious gift that we often take for granted. Why aren't we walking around saying, I am clean. I've been made clean, not by my works, not by my efforts, not by my religious affiliation, but by Jesus who drew near to me in the gospel and revealed my foul condition and cleansed me by his embrace at the cross. That's what we should be saying. We were all spiritually unclean. We all have this testimony. We are now cleansed lepers. That's who we are. Let's put that on a t-shirt. It should sell. I'm a cleansed leper, right? That, that is what we are. We were all spiritually unclean, but everything in our life changed when Jesus touched us. My question for you is, has everything in your life changed? Are you still going on in the same sins that once enslaved you? Well, I would question, are you born again? I'm not saying you don't struggle with them. I'm not saying you don't battle with them. But I'm saying if you're living in them without repentance, you may not be saved. Because the one who saves also sanctifies. His work is effectual. And it's progressive. It sanctifies us to the point of glorification. Final glorification and glory. We were eternally cleansed. If you're eternally cleansed by God's grace through Jesus' compassionate embrace at the cross, then your life will be changed. There will be this ongoing pursuit of what pleases God and a hatred towards sin, the sins that once enslaved you. So, so we, we who have been cleansed, we who are cleansed lepers by Jesus, we can do what this man is not supposed to do, but we can do what he's, he's doing here in this text. We can go out and joyfully proclaim that we are clean due to Jesus' saving embrace at the cross. My, my struggle this morning in this is, is that we all affirm everything that we're reading here this morning, but we're not acting on it. I agree. Oh, it's a great and glorious day for this man. He went out and he's rejoicing in what God has done for him. That's good for him. But isn't that good for us? It brings God praise. Not everyone believes that you profess this to, but those who will be drawn by his irresistible grace, they will come. To the preaching of the gospel, the good news of this compassionate and powerful Savior. It's this cleansing touch of Jesus that should compel us now as Christians. Like this leper, we should be compelled to go into the world and proclaim the good news rescue story we've been given in the gospel. We tell the good news to the world that Jesus has sovereign authority over sin. And he is also sympathetic and merciful to sinners. He will both rescue us and he'll restore us. That's what we have to tell them. Church, the the great rescue story of Jesus and the leper here should give hope to everyone in this room, even the most defiled sinners and struggling saints among us. We should all find hope. We should find hope because it reminds us of what Jesus was willing and able to do for defiled outcasts. It teaches us here that he is willing to cleanse and restore us so that we can joyfully declare that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is our rescue story. We are with the leper in this embrace. We should therefore proclaim it louder than this man could ever imagine here on earth until Christ comes. This is our legacy. This is our gift from God. This is the blessing we've received through regeneration. We are now his ambassadors, the ambassadors of this great rescue story of salvation. So 
I say all of this in Mark 1 to lead you to Mark 7 because there's an emotional response that Jesus has there that, again, is a mirror image in many ways of what's happening in this. Sometimes we need to actually put these things together in our mind as we come to the text so that we can see the big picture that Mark's painting of Jesus, our compassionate and powerful Savior. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the Gospel of Mark. We thank you for allowing us to once again get a glimpse into Jesus' greatness and glory and see how you work to bring about regeneration and restoration, reconciliation in those that have been embraced by his compassion. We, we pray that you would help us today to take the things that we read there in Mark about the leper's cleansing and his restoration, and we would apply that to our own lives and recognize that we have been given the gift to go out and declare his greatness and grace. And we pray that you, God, would be honored in that, that we would be edified and the lost would be saved. And I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.